Hello and welcome to the Midlife Pilot Podcast, an aviation podcast all about flying and midlife and all that goes on with that. My name's Ben. I'm a pilot here in the Atlanta metro area and I've been flying uh, for about five years now. Started when I was 48. Gosh, been six years. And I am, as always, thankfully, joined by my co-host, Mr. Brian Siskin from the heart of Music Row in Nashville, Tennessee. Hello, Ben. Good to see you. Glad you made it back in time. Me too. Joining us from the West Coast, our sport pilot extraordinaire, Ted Flysport. Hey, Ted. Hey, how you doing? I'm doing good. I, I got a little bit more air therapy this week, so my wife said, wow, your mood really is better. So <laughs> it's a good thing. And your plane is still not functioning? It um, The part was mailed. We had it paid expedited. We're hoping to have it Thursday. All right. So this is the, uh, it's the exhaust? Exhaust stack, yes. Yes. So um, hopefully uh, I'll remember how to land my own airplane here pretty soon. We'll, we'll, uh, we'll see. I think you'll do just fine, but, uh, but that's no fun. And uh, also it's, you know, it's one thing to have your plane be down for something cool, like an avionics upgrade or I don't know, getting <laughs> something fixed finally that's, you know, I don't know, going to make it more awesome or whatever, but an exhaust is, you know, if, falls into the category of just i don't know it's like taking out the trash or something like it's just something you have to do you're just getting it back to zero it, it, yeah. you're not <laughs> not, you're right. not gaining anything uh, even even Alyssa did all the avionics but she also got her prop done at the same time and so now you have a, a zero time prop great plus all the goodies the avionics but so so ben basically whatever you've mustered so far to feel good about what's going on we just single-handedly ripped it apart. <laughs> I am, um, I'm going to go ahead and just take another drink. <laughs> thanks. Thanks for that. Thanks. thanks I do think it's cool. You're getting TAA time though. And you know, flying something different. Um, and again, I should remind people that you guys had a great discussion on that. We used as a sort of before you were hosting the podcast, when you were guest contributing to the podcast, you guys had a great conversation about uh, the contrast between uh, Ted having flown 170 different airplanes, uh, <laughs> and Ben having flown, you know, you having flown one. It, it's uh, funny that you say that because when I was the first one up in this 172 TAA plane, I, I swear I thought, okay, so this is what Ted deals with all the time. You know, my, I was task saturated flying a Cessna 172 just to go out and do some maneuvers. It, it kind of felt that way. And, and I was, thinking, well, Ted does this all the time. So it, I mean, you know, I should be able to do this if Ted can do this. I, I don't do that anymore. We switched places. Yeah, we did. Yeah. And now you're the one that has one plane that you fly all the time and you still haven't figured out how to land it. Or you just, exactly. you just yeah. figured out how to land it. Just, you know, 175 hours and I can now land it. It's, you know, it's, uh, right. it's so backward from, from uh, student pilot training where, it, you know, you, you spend all that time learning to land before you do any other flying and i've done a bunch of long cross countries where you do very few landings and was struggling on them all the time so yeah i told you that i met my uh hangar neighbor who has a 182 right. rg um that had before that a, a, a plastic egg a ctls that is such a, a, a fun and, and i told him about you and i said you know he, he calls it the egg and he just kind of looked at me like what <laughs> I was like, it looks like an egg, you know, it's like one of those yeah. things when you meet, when you meet somebody new, you just hope that your sense of humor kind of jives with theirs. And then when it doesn't, it's just sort of like, okay, well, I mean, anyway, that's cool. You had that plane. <laughs> yeah, exactly. From a plane that could barely carry anything to a plane that could carry the plastic egg practically. Yeah. I know, yeah. Right. It's pretty crazy. Yeah. Well, we want to remind everybody we're broadcasting live every Tuesday night on YouTube at youtube.com slash at midlife pilot podcast. Uh, we open this up for everybody to, to come and join us. We have a very lively chat room tonight. Uh, we love reading your comments and um, like to get the feedback immediately. So we're going to move along here. Um, 
Ted, have you done any flying? Brian and I mentioned it. Have you been up since last podcast? I have not been up at all since last podcast. I have been stuck on the first couple letters of I'm safe. Uh, I was coming down with a cold uh, as we were doing the last podcast. And I'm getting over uh. it now. So, But it meant that I had time to produce a video and make some good snippets out of our, our pod from last week. So, nice. you know, stuck in the house. I guess that's what I'm doing. I really want to go over there, but yeah. Brian? Um, yeah, yeah. You. Have you been flying? Well, you know, so I'd, I don't know if you guys know, but I, I, I do a little dabbling in documentary kind of stuff. And, um, and, uh, I came up with this idea to do a documentary where I basically fly to visit all these friends that I've had for 20 and 30 years that I haven't seen for 20 or 30 years. And for whatever reason, uh, you know, it's like we see them on Facebook, we see each other or, you know, whatever. There's this kind of uh, pseudo connectedness that you have with all these people. But as you get older, you know, this is kind of a midlife thing, but it's like, um, at what point are we going to choose to be in the same room again? Or is that it? <laughs> right. And, uh, and I just wanted to kind of press around the bounds of that sort of, um, thing. And, uh, so I put an open call out and I got all these responses. And so I just started right away. So I flew to Knoxville today to go, uh, meet, uh, I, I want to say like a girl, cause she was a girl when I knew her, right. When we were young, <laughs> Welcome to a woman. Life. Yeah. um, uh, we used to, she, she was basically the roommate of my girlfriend at the time. And, um, so we were all real tight and did a bunch of crazy adventures and all kinds of cool stuff. And, um, but I haven't talked to her since 1995. So I flew to Knoxville today to go interview and talk with a person that I have not seen in 28 years. So, um, anyway, the flying was good. <laughs> and, uh, uh, and I, I think I've told you guys, but, um, the radio and the planes having a little bit of an issue. Uh, the way that I could tell was when I was leaving out of Knoxville and talking to Knoxville approach, they said, um, unreadable, broken. And then uh, intermittently, everything is fine. Or if I get to a certain altitude or whatever, then I got to um, Nashville, was doing fine with Nashville Approach. Nashville Approach handed me off to John Toon. I call up John Toon. Uh, and the, the, the first real indication that I had a radio problem, uh, if you've ever needed one, is uh, when I called up John Toon and said, uh, <laughs> Cherokee 5116 Lima, um, whatever, eight miles to the east, inbound for a full stop with whatever. And they, <laughs> and they replied, helicopter calling, <laughs> unreadable, <laughs> broken. <laughs> Underwater. Yeah. Underwater. Yeah. Uh, please, are, are you speaking in Arabic or yeah. Chinese or something or what do you, so, uh, anyway, uh, but yeah, it was interesting though, because, um, trying to go back and forth with them with this kind of broken communication, uh, I ended up in sort of a little bit of a situation where, um, they were landing runway zero two. It's a left pattern to zero two, but I was coming from the East and the tower was, the tower said, uh, Join and when I was trying to talk to them in broken communications, uh, they said, join the midfield downwind for zero two. And I'm coming from the east, which is fine, but it's not a right pattern to zero two. Um, and so I know that they do that sometimes, but he didn't say the word right downwind. I know that he did not say that. And so I, with this broken communication, as I'm kind of closing in and, and, you know, the descent's pretty quick in this thing and everything's happening a little bit faster. Yeah. And, and I said, um, uh, I just want to clarify, do you want me to overfly the field and do a teardrop entry for the left downwind for zero two or, you know, and it was about that point where he said, uh, what do you want to do or something? And I just said, I'm just going to fly. And it was kind of busy. There's a bunch of planes. I just said, I'm just going to go South. I'm just going to get, I'm just going away now. Um, and, and he said, they said, they're just call Nashville approach back. And I'm like, all right. So then I go back to Nashville approach and I say, Hey, <laughs> um, I'm having some radio problems. They're not able to hear me very well. I don't know what's going on. Um, and, uh, so I'm talking to you and I'm just going South. And then, so then he was trying to keep me out of the way of a bunch of stuff. And I'm just trying to get out of the, you know, out of the place and, uh, reset everything and then maybe get set up on a long final, um, if I can just leave out of the adjacent Charlie to the South 
And, um, and then, um, it was actually really interesting. I didn't know that this would ever happen. Um, but he basically, the controller said, uh, tell you what, uh, just do this, stay this altitude, VFR, go this direction, uh, this heading, this altitude, and I'll coordinate with them. And so he went and talked to them and keep in mind that this is an important detail. John Toon does not have radar. That was the whole thing. Yeah, I'm sorry if yeah. you said that. And I, I did not, that's why like in the beginning, I, did, I wasn't a hundred percent confident that this guy was not confused that I was coming from and thinking that I was coming from the West until he yeah. explicitly said right or left downwind. I was not yeah. going to just assume. Uh, and, and if anything, I'm going to assume the de facto, if you don't give a direction is the standard published pattern direction, but he was not happy with me because I was not just unquestioningly psychic, I guess, or whatever, but it was fine. Uh, but anyway, so I went to the South and then got back on with approach Nashville. And then they basically just put me on, they just kind of vectored me and set me up behind a citation to come in on a long final and, and then, um, kind of just took care of it. And then I went over to John Toon on about a three mile final and was able to communicate with them reasonably or whatever. And it was all fine, but I just didn't realize that, um, that, you know, it's kind of, it just broke my brain in the moment to be like, wait, yeah. I can land at this airport that I I'm not talking to because you're <laughs> on the phone with them or whatever it is that you're doing. Right. So, uh, so anyway, it was just a neat little, um, you know, the positive side of having a glitchy radio with a push to talk. That's all scratchy. Nordo will get your blood pressure up. It's happened to me once, so I, I get it. And when you have a tower with no radar, that's a that's a big deal because I was coming into my home base that did have a radar, so I could squawk seventy six hundred, and they could see that, and they knew immediately what it was. But with no radar, they 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 can't see. Well, anything. and it's it's such a busy phase of of flight, especially when yep. you're near a Charlie or a Bravo like that. You're you're worried about what airspace you're in and you're worried about the Delta along with the others. And yeah. Yeah. So anyway, that was fun. Uh, but successful trip, uh, first shoot for this, uh, documentary, which by the way, I, my working title for it is, um, prior to departure. Ooh, I like that. It's, uh, it's, it's a little bit morbid, but, uh, also yeah. aviation themed. Yeah. Yeah. I'm curious to hear well, more about that as we go. Yeah. What do we say we move on to our climb out segment? Yeah, let's get it. Let's do it. And people in the chat, uh, feel free to start throwing uh, spitballs at us or whatever. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Um, and you can direct in specifically at me if you, if you need to. Um, so the climb out section is where we talk um, different aspects of training that we're going through or have been through and try to help our, our fellow midlifers out that are going through the training um, last week we did talk about you have zero hours. You want to get started this week. We thought, okay, you, you made the decision. You're going to get it. We were going to throw it out there. What do you do? Do you, how do you find a, do you do a joint, joint, sorry, join a flight club? Do you go to a school? Do you go find an independent CFI or even maybe go out there and buy your own airplane? And, and buy a plane sounds kind of exotic, but we have at least two people that bought a plane before they had their private pilot's uh, ticket. So it's not, in, in some ways, it makes sense. If you're going to fly, if you please get your medical first, but if you're going to fly, it it can financially make sense to do that. It's I haven't done, worked out the math yet, but, you know, a Cessna 150, you can get anywhere between twenty five dollars to $35,000 and then turn around and sell it for probably close to the same amount. And you've just erased all of your airplane rental expenses, which is probably the most expensive part. Yeah. So, um, you know, for me personally, I, um, I hit the lottery, meaning not the actual lottery, but my brother-in-law bought an airplane and gave me free access to, to get it. So I, I had a lot of different options. I talked to a couple of different CFIs that were independent, but I wanted something more structured. So I decided to go, uh, I found a school. I like the two owners were great guys, um, strict, but laid back. If that makes any sense at all, mm -hmm. uh, they're fun to hang out with, but when it yeah. came time to learn stuff, they didn't mess around. Safety was number one. Um, and we, we, we all just hit it off really well. And they went through my logs. They said, yep, yeah, we can, throw one of our instructors in your airplane. And it's, so it was a nice structured environment. And that's 
that's what I needed. I, I, I was just going to say, I, I think there's so many variables here, you know, and, and people are going to do it, uh, have judgments, I think, from their perspective. But I think that some of the variables to be considered are, um, I mean, how many, I, I don't know if there's any data around this, but how many people go get their private pilot certificate, fly maybe a hundred hours and then just kind of trail off? Never fly again. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, or, or, you know, so I think there's probably a, a reasonable amount of people that, that do that, which is fine. You met the challenge, you did it. I'm not insulting those people. I'm just saying that's a, that is, you know, and then, you know, second, you know, I would say, um, man, if it's very rare that people are really going to know in midlife, what, you know, what their mission is. If you're For a sure. young person that just, oh, you're, you know, it's just like, I need a time builder, you know, For sure. because I'm going to the airlines, that makes it really clear. But, you know, I think that um, I can see it, it took me about two years um, to really have a clear idea of what is the perfect setup for me and and what do yeah. I want. And um, granted, I don't have a lot of choices, right. But, you know, I'm sort of lucky that I even had an option, but um, ultimately I guess I'm just saying I, I can see now, like I know for a fact that what I want is a minority share in a Cherokee 180 that I can take places and then when I grow up and I get, you know, uh, maybe this documentary <laughs> does really well, um, then I want to get a t- I want to get a like a 140, you know, oh, yeah. or, or something like that. And, and that's that's it for me. But I would never have thought that when I first started. There, there's another downside to to buying. I think there's a huge a couple of huge advantages. But one of the downsides is what Ben is in right now. What other people have been in, which is you go in for a long annual. You you have something that goes down. If you're in training and you're trying to fly what we recommend of two to three times a week, you're going to be out for, let's say, four weeks at a minimum, and you're going to reset some of that that training. So if you, that's an advantage of renting from a school that has six planes, 10 planes, whatever. Or a club, it, right? Like that's the, yeah. the beauty of a club, right? And, and you can choose your own adventure for what you want to do. Yeah. And, and I, I yeah, the, the club way is, is a great, kind of middle ground there and and can still save money the i think the funny one right now is is nate who we had on last week his club has three planes they're all down right now i mean sometimes you just i mean that's gonna be a one roll the yeah you just roll the dice and you you lose yeah I, i think it's important for students to make sure they give themselves the most flexibility as possible and that's either going to be with a flight school or a club um our friend josh had his private i think and then bought his plane uh, and knew, and then went through his instrument training in that plane, yeah. which I think is another great way of doing it. But I think as a student, you, you kind of don't know what you don't know right? when it comes to missions. And it may be that you just like flying maneuvers and flying the patterns and doing it for a year and then, you know, you're done. And so, yeah, you want to give yourself as, uh, as flexible as, as possible. I think there's a lot of people that, that think, the, the, my mission plan is six people because I have three kids or I have friends that are going to be flying with me. That's like, and then you find out necessarily yeah. half your family's scared to fly with you and your yeah. friends don't even trust that you know how to fly. And you know, and you got right. one drunk friend and you're going to spend a hundred hours in the pattern anyway. So, <laughs> right. so yeah. 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 So if you're listening to us on the audio version of the podcast, you know, feel free to email us at midlife pilot podcast at gmail.com. I got that right, didn't I? Yeah. And uh, let us know, um, you know, what, what you're thinking. We'd love to get some um, some feedback from you on this topic. Yeah, and and that's where we give out invites to D- Discord as well. We've had a couple of people join us the last week, and that's always it's always fun. Been a lot of discussions going on this week in, in Discord. Yeah, and I, I'm shocked at, you know, the, the it's been really cool to see uh, people actually uh, – straight up supporting the the podcast through uh the link that we have through our spotify i was gonna mention that toward the end but yeah oh yeah that's just really nice yeah um let's move on to our cruise yeah um section of our podcast cruise portion is that what we call it cruise by the way should we tell people why we want them to now follow us on spotify yes (laughs) because let's just be honest the the ad gods um, now prefer Spotify because they're the ones that bought the platform. So, um, 
even if you just go over there and press the button and come back to Apple, it's fine or whatever you want to do. But anyway, go ahead. If you have a, if you have a Spotify account, just subscribe to, to the podcast yeah. on there. Those are the numbers that matter the most. Ted, can't you code a bot or something? Can't you code a bot that does this? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, isn't that why we hired him? Just yeah, to, exactly. I'm going to replace myself with a bot soon enough. <laughs> yeah. Oh, hey, uh, Chris is saying in the comments, uh, Chris C, uh, that he's joining a club tomorrow. He's oh, had cool. a he's had a uh, um, a great uh, situation of of a plane uh, to be with, and uh, yeah, the club, if I remember right, is closer, and yeah, so that's really good. And all pipers, I won't hold that against him. Uh, I was, yeah. You need some highway time. That's all I'm saying. Well, let's move on to our cruise portion. Um, little cross country planning 101. Um, there was a couple of earlier comments I think I saw from Biff, who's doing a, a solo cross country tomorrow. Um, this point of this discussion is not really how to do it or what to do, but maybe just some things you know you're you're taking into account. And uh, yeah, just how maybe each of us go through it. Maybe something that uh, you don't learn while you're uh, training. There's there's cross country training, and then there's the reality of cross country flying. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So the thank you. That's what I was trying to say. Kind of the goal here was, what are the cross countries you're doing right after getting your ticket? How how do you plan those? You know what you need to do during training, right? You need your 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 miles and your hours. What do you do next? Yeah. And by the way, let me just dip back into the previous conversation to pull it forward a little bit, just to say, I, the thing they don't tell you is how hard it's going to be to fly. Once you're able to fly, finding a plane and being able to fly it is so hard to work out (laughs) for a lot of people. And, uh, and I've been one of those people. And then what you want to do is you want to start doing cross country, like you want to start going somewhere. So if you're renting planes from your flight school, which is what I did when I first got out of, yeah my, you know, training, because that's the, that was the extent of what I felt comfortable with, but it did not take very long before I'm like, okay, I want to start stretching out. But they're like, Hey, this plane can't leave, you know, it can't be gone for more than three hours or whatever, because they're just turning people over. So then you start looking for then and around here, there's not a lot of clubs or, you know, whatever, or or 10 year waiting lists or, so then you're, you're kind of stuck in this kind of limbo. So I guess I'm just saying when it comes to the cross country planning, you know, I think the earliest stage of that is uh, making sure that you have your sights set on uh, having a, a a way to do that because not everybody can own a plane. You you have the trouble with um in your first, when you were going down to um, your first trip down to Texas a couple of years ago, you have an issue with uh, get theritis because you have to get the plane back by a certain time so somebody else can use it, and you have weather issues. There's a lot of pressure there. Yeah. So I understand what you're trying to say there. And and even having said that, you know, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of things you can do when you're renting, right? If you can get it for three or four hours, go fly for an hour and go for a two hour hike, fly an hour back, right? There, there's still things you can do. The hack I figured out is to do it on Sunday mornings when nobody really wants to be there and, and rent the plane for four hours, but get there an hour, like book it uh, early in the day. Yeah. And so like book it so that the booking doesn't stand out as a problem, right? Cause it's booked from say <laughs> seven to 10 or seven to 11 right. latest. And yeah. they might let you stretch on the weekend, but then you show up at, you know, 6am and go, or like, I don't know, there's, right. I did stuff like that. <laughs> I, I had to throw up Teddy Herrera's comment. Uh, oh, yeah. Step one is find the best restaurants in, in route. That That is like the most midlife thing to say, because when you start cross-country planning, it's more about the fuel savings. And then as we get older, it's really more about the restaurants we eat at. I, <laughs> yeah. I'm totally agreeing with him on this one. Yeah. I, I kind of have a, a list in my head of um, where are the restaurants? What are the things I can do within walking distance of the airport? What are, you know, what can I uh, do to have fun with uh, when I'm doing that? And Chris C was just saying that about uh, there's lots of little aviation museums all over the place. So I got a pro tip for you, Brian. I don't think I've ever told you this. There's a website called fly the number two lunch.com. Yeah. Familiar. It's not very well maintained, but it does have yeah. some things. It does. It, it's a starting point is all I'm saying. It, it's a great starting point. Um, yeah. If you want to find the restaurants wherever you're going. So 
Yeah, no, I think that's great. I think also as much as it's great to try to find, uh, it depends on what part of the country you're in. You're going to see more on field restaurants in certain parts of the country than others Uh, around here. Not so much. Um, Well, and, and post COVID it's, it's been a a lot of the places got taken out. Right. Right. And it's like, Oh, these places were there 20 years and they're gone. And yeah. And you can't tell. Yeah. The reason I bring that up is just to say, um, go ahead and get used to getting crew cars and going into town. And you, then you have all kinds of options. I think it, it gets, um, when you're, when you're limp, when you're trying to keep it to where it's like, it has to be on the field or like a super oh, yeah. easy walk. Um, I mean, that's all fine. There's a million options depending on where you are. Um, but you know, I mean, just go there get a car, man, and go yeah. do what you gotta do. Yeah. So, um, you know, I was thinking when we were talking about discussing the subject, it was, uh, my very first long cross country was, uh, to McKinney, Texas. And, um, you know, it's, it, there's some things that you, you, you really have to kind of plan out that you don't get taught in school. How far was that for you? Uh, 750 miles, I think. Yeah. Somewhere around there. Big trip. Yeah. But yeah, I be, but, but my point is, is, um, you know, does the FBO handle the rental car? Do I need to call the rental car company myself? Um, or am I going to, is it a busy enough place to get an Uber, um, yeah. fuel stops, airspaces? There's, there's a lot more that goes into it than just what we were taught. Yeah. So, and you have to break that down into all those different problems, right? Right. It's, okay. I'm going to McKinney. What are the airports I can choose? What are the services while I'm there? <laughs> Where am I going to park while I'm there? Uh, and then, okay, what am I doing in route? You can always stop in an airport. Are they going to have fuel or is there going to be food there? You have to kind of plan that in advance though. Also a thing to consider is, um, and I recommend within reason, depending on fuel costs and whatever, but I recommend trying to plan your flights, your longer flights along uh, deltas because you're going to have services. You're going to, you know, as soon as you're not at a delta, you're running the risk of the fuel not working, no mechanic on the field, no crew car. They said there's crew cars, but there's not really a crew car, you know, or it broke down. Um, I mean, I've, I've been to airports like that where it's like, yeah, well, I don't know. Somebody broke the back window of the car. So we're just trying to figure that out. You know, just, you just run into all these kind of things. So I guess I'm just saying if, if you're, if you're starting out and you want to have as, a uh, few hiccups as possible. Plan your cross country around hiccup or around hiccups around <laughs> class Delta. Yeah, uh, no, plan on the hiccups and, and yeah. yeah, accept the hiccups and be the hiccups, love the hiccups. But, um, and McKinney K T K I, I think that's where that is. T K I. That's a really great, I mean, that's a really great airport. <laughs> it's like they had ice cream. They had popcorn. <laughs> they had golf carts. They, they had they checked a lot of boxes. You know, that we have resources in our EFBs, with, you know, here are the services available at this airport, but I don't, I think that gets updated once a year. I don't, I don't know. It, yeah. it seems like once you, there's been several airports I've been to that says has ground transportation where there was none Yeah, that said there was a mechanic on the shop. Well, the mechanic closed six months, you know, it, yeah. it's not always uh, accurate. So, or we're flying on Saturdays. And so of course everything's closed. Yeah. But the Delta is at least you're going to have people there True. though, is, is yeah. the point. And um, I, I think you bring a really good point and yeah, Call. you're gonna pay a little bit more for the gas, but it's worth having that, uh, security. And just take the time to phone call people. I mean, I, you know, like I've had a trip, uh, I had a trip this year where I went to, it wasn't a very long trip, but it was a specific one, which I rarely do like to a, a, a an event, you know, that I was going to this music festival in Knoxville in April and I wanted to fly there and then be able to fly back. And, but I knew that right after I got there the next day that these huge storms are going to be coming through. And so I, I called and said, do you have any hangar space, transient hangar space or whatever? And I ended up working it out where, and if I hadn't called when I called, then there, I wouldn't have, I would have been out of luck. Um, and so I was able, it was the difference between getting to a place and then worrying and freaking out the whole time about what's going on with the plane versus yeah, it's totally safe in a hangar at a reasonable price and I don't have to think about it. And then the weather's going to clear out and then I'm going to get the plane out and do the thing. So um, be, you know, when you're talking about cross country planning, people are always thinking about en route weather, destination weather, all these things, but you've got to think about just as much as anything else, the weather for the time that you're actually at your destination. If you're going somewhere for a couple of days, 
and your plane's outside uh, in a vulnerable spot and you don't have like that home airport guy that you know that will, you know, like save your, your buns or whatever it is. And you don't even know what's available, but you'd just be really surprised at how little transient hangar space can be had sometimes, especially when there's a bunch of storms coming in because yeah. everybody's jumping and trying to hide their planes. So I think that's one of the things that gets really missed uh, from a planning cross-country perspective is you really have to pay attention to the weather uh, like when you're not flying while you're at the destination. Right. Yeah, it, definitely that's that's the worry is how much wind there is and it, uh, can I tie knots well enough for that? Well, Ted, in this part of the country, we have what's called hail. <laughs> oh, I've heard it's, of that. They're, yeah. they're falling balls of uh, ice death for, for sheet metal and aluminum. I, I fly, I use MoGas. I actually haven't bought low lead or I haven't put low lead in my plane in the almost 200 hours that I've had it so far. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. That's hard to do when you're traveling, but flyandleaded.com is, is a site that lists where those airports are. So if I'm going on an eight-hour trip yeah. to southern Utah, there are two or three stations along the way that I can stop for fuel. I've got yeah. good range, but I need to stop. But I knew that the one in Salt Lake, the last time I'd been through there, their fuel truck wasn't working, whatever that means. And so on the most recent time I went through there, I called them in advance just to make sure. And yeah. I went ahead and called the other place to make sure. But it means that I tend to stop at smaller airports, like below a Delta in size. And so you really don't know what you're getting for service. There are, in the Bay Area, there are some airports that that have MoGas uh, that are Deltas, famously SQL, everybody's favorite uh, towered airport for uh, making- For nerds? Uh, well, there's that, but no, they've been, oh. they've been popular lately on the- uh, <laughs> on the live ETC type video sites or uh, YouTube yeah. channels because of their controllers. Uh, uh, but they had, uh, uh, they had MoGas. And so I went there. So when I picture you flying over Utah, looking for MoGas, I picture the plastic egg landing on a highway, pulling into <laughs> a Exxon gas station, <laughs> nose, you know, pointed at the thing and oh, yeah. having everybody's head, head tops out and everybody's just kind of <laughs> staring at him as he there is a place in Southeast Oregon out in the desert where you do that. You, you land and you taxi to the gas station. And yeah. I want to do that just for that experience. <laughs> like how can you, just like I've landed on the beach, like how can you not take advantage of that? By the way? Yeah. People haven't seen that video. That's such an awesome video. I, I love that. It's so amazing. Yeah. I, so I, I drive to my cars. I have two cars, two 1985 mm -hmm. Toyotas. And I put ethanol free gas in them nonstop. If I didn't have a gas station right by my house that happened to do to have it, I would be in trouble. Uh, cause it's not, I have to plant. So when I go out of town in one of those cars, I have to do exactly the same thing. I'm sort of looking at like where, you know, and then it's reported that there's ethanol free here, yeah. but it's not really there. And you know, yes, it's this whole mystery. But what the funny thing is, is like, if you just go to the rural areas, it's all over the place because it's for, you know, all the equipment and whatever tractors and I don't know, whatever. Right. Old stuff, you know, but, uh, but anyway, but yeah. So as far as cross country planning, what else do you guys want to like touch on here? So for routing, I think there's two things with routing. There are things that you haven't really dealt with besides reading about it as a student, which is number one is mountains. And the second is restricted airspace. And if you're, if you're flying a long distance, are you going to go through those Charlies and those Bravos? Are you going to go around a mountain? Sorry, I, we have mountains here. Uh, uh, real ones. Real, real mountains. Yeah. So, so I've done trips where you, you alter your route. So you're basically following the interstate, like, because the interstate's going to be, you know, a couple thousand feet lower than, than the nearby ridges. Sometimes I'll go over them. It depends on the train. It depends on how I'm feeling about the plane and what's going on with the trip. But how much coffee you've had? Yeah, exactly. 
<laughs> Speaking of coffee, I think the number one factor that I now do is how how long of legs and hours do I want to do? Mm-hmm. I the longest I think I've ever done is four hours. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if I never do that again. I'll be okay with that. I think three to three and a half hour legs is is plenty long. Mm-hmm. Um, it's easy to get stiff and bored and distracted and complacent and keeping your mind sharp for that long. At least for it is for me, a simple guy like me. But well, I've done a lot of three hour. Not a lot, but I've definitely done my share of three hour and some three hour and 30 minute legs and things like that. And I just kind of quickly realized this is pointless. Like I want to, I want to go experience some of these places. Yeah. I, I'm not in a rush, you know? I, so I like, I, I, when I did my trip to Marfa and back, it was so nice to have a bunch, like to mix it up. One flight is an hour and a half. Another one's yeah. 2.5 hours. Then maybe a three hour, then another one hour and 15 minutes, like changing up the length of the legs and not being so purposefully kind of equidistant about it, depending on, you know, the terrain or the other variables. But I really like shorter legs, seeing more airports and, uh, you know, having more opportunities to find something wrong with the plane, you know, or whatever. Right. For me, it just, it depends on on the type of trip that I'm doing. And yeah. so what have you, what have y'all found about the length of, of the day? How many hours are you, can you fly before you start getting dumb? Or before you're reaching your limit? So I think the longest I've ever flown was at the original um, midlife fly-in in Outer Banks. Because mm-hmm. I'd flown into Ocracoke, and then we flew around a little bit. Then we flew back to ONX. I think I had about seven hours that day. Yeah. And oh, it was yeah. pretty wipe at, at the end of that day. Well, and that's a lot of, that's that's not a... A to B cross country. That's a lot of it, there was smaller flights, and it was and, hot, which takes a lot of brain power too, and a lot of yeah, brain power to figure out what was wrong with Brian's airplane and should we ground it and <laughs> do all that, and just leave him behind. It's just be yeah. easier to trim the fat. Yeah, leave yeah. Leave, leave the weaklings behind. Yeah, <laughs> mechanic wasn't flying with him, so yeah. 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 So, but that's that's a that's a good one though, and it was hot, and it was a lot of low flying. Um, you know, coastal flying low and it was really hot. So that's another factor that will wear you out. But, um, and then, you know, autopilot, you know, if you, if you're just, you know, doing autopilot for three hours, that's one type of vibe versus yep. hand flying or whatever. Like when I flew back from Knoxville today, I just, I kind of just reminded my, I just reminded myself like, don't, don't just go autopilot. Like have some fun. Like I'm in the mountains right now. So I just disconnected and made sure that I was cool with altitude with the, with the approach or whatever, whoever's talking to. And I just started just dancing with the clouds and going around and you can look at my track today. It looks like I was, (laughs) uh, looks like I, you know, found a rattlesnake in the floorboard or something. Um, but, uh, but it was just, you know, yeah. But in terms of the, the cross country long flights, I, I mean, the last one I did like that, I flew from, I got to the airport before sunrise, took off yeah. at sunrise, landed at my destination at sunset. Um, I basically flew the whole light of the day, but I mean, at the same time that was, I had stops. I was taking little breaks for sure. I was not just pounding and out, you know, the, the whole time. Um, but it was definitely, I'm doing nothing but flying all day and it was fine. It was not, it was remarkably fine. Actually. I was like, yeah, this is fine. I think it's really important that before you go fly eight hours in a day that you've flown six hours in a day. And before you yes. do that, you've flown four hours in a day. Yes. That's huge. Thank you for bringing that up. Building it. That's, yeah. Plan to build your tolerances up. When yeah. I was fearing my plane, I planned on four hour days I ended up doubling that, right? Combining that, but I, I'd already planned where I was going to stop and everything. And I've got experience in the past of doing longer endurance stuff like that. And so it turned out that translated really well and, and, and I was able to do it. But man, you know, don't, don't go from flying an, an hour and a half to flying eight hours. So, and, and that's a good segue too, to what you have on the screen, what Teddy, what Teddy uh, yeah. indicated, which I think is a very good point. The type of flying does matter. And, he mentions hour and a half in turbulence and thermal wipes me out more than six hours of smooth air. I'll tell you one really difficult instrument approach down to minimums. I, I'll, if I get it on the ground, which I usually do, 
Usually, that's it for me. I'm done for the day. And if we need to go get a hotel room, we will. But I mean, it can take a lot out of you. Yeah. Um, There's the physical tax. There's the mental tax. You know, there's all the. Yeah. And Jeff mentioned something that that uh, Mark actually experienced in this last week, uh, which was when you're planning your cross country, when do you ditch plan A? When do you when do you stop planning that cross country and get a car or not travel? Right. And (laughs) that's that's something you want to keep in mind. Mark was headed to um, from North Carolina to uh, what Wisconsin and uh, the weather didn't do it. So he flew commercial and uh, you know, you've got to make that decision. And, but I thought if you were instrument rated that you were invincible and you could fly in any yeah. weather, Ben, that's what you told me. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I fly in any weather. I fly in hurricanes. I fly in thunderstorms. I fly in oh, the Atlanta F- FSDO can be reached out. Property I have in Kansas for you as well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, of course. I mean, no, yeah. So Mark, Mark had to fly commercial. Did he make it partially? I don't think I, he left at all. No, he left from home and then oh, okay. went and met up with uh, um, who? Alyssa and Jeff. Yeah, and and, uh, and, and uh, Badger pilot. Badger, nice. yes, and flew in their planes. So. You still get some oh, flying. Oh, they're the ones that got the shout out on uh, opposing bases. Yeah, that too. Yeah. Right. Speaking right. of that. Yeah. Yes. Speaking of that, they- uh, And that's they, a good way to kind of close out the, the, the yeah. cross-country stuff. Um, and we'll talk about this more, about cross-country yeah, planning more. Definitely. Yeah. Um, I thought it was a good discussion. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm friends with the guys at opposing bases. And for those out there listening to this audio, ca- uh, audio this podcast, um, <laughs> if Audio, you're in training yeah. or you're beyond training and you have your certificates, whatever those may be, uh, I'm going to go ahead and give a strong recommendation for opposing bases. Yeah. Um, a, they're fun, but B, the service they provide by teaching you about ATC and what's on the other side of the mic is, is really a, a valuable service. So, you know, it's, it's uh they gave us a nice shout out on their 300th episode so congrats to them for 300 episodes that's pretty incredible yeah just wanted to say thanks to them um yeah. they've been friends for a while now yeah they're kind of uh you know we're in this family of of aviation enthusiasts and uh it's it's really helpful to to not be as afraid of atc uh so that's yeah that they were they were helpful in that way of i'm not uh i'm not as scared of it and yeah you learn things uh like uh i mean like what Alyssa did and like what you did ben of you know flying into a bravo uh how how do you do that and how do you make them not hate you and uh, do they hate <laughs> you because you're doing it the answer is no and if you haven't heard the episode that we did have them on uh with chris a while back please go back and find that we had a really great conversation with them and yeah um yeah. and they they left some some flight following gold yeah. um so That's go right. check that out down in our apple podcasts or wherever spotify podcast subscription yes that's good that's right so yeah. uh bag of words ted did you have something I do have a bag of words this week. I uh, deliberately didn't tell you y'all about it. What I what I had on the bag of words. I uh, I dug into my early training and I found the first week or the first flight that I have decent audio for, and I just listened to the whole thing and started flagging things out of it. and And I found a great gem uh, for <laughs> exactly. Uh, it's like Josh's very much bag of words. So there are other bits I may, I may pull out of that, but, uh, in this case, I'm, I'm sorry. I was just going to say, if, if you're from Wisconsin, do you call it a big bag of words? Big. <laughs> so so like the majority of our listeners now are in Wisconsin. I know. That's from, that's from, from, so yeah, the majority of our, of our discord is in Wisconsin. Our listeners are in that's Texas, true. California. So it's, true. it's, we, we've got, we've got these different the gangs in different areas. Yeah. So I, I'm I'm headed toward my home airport of Twin Oaks at this point. I'm five miles east. I'm going to overfly the runway to the west, make a teardrop and enter left downwind. I'm saying all that to set up what I was trying to say here, and uh, <laughs> and it, it's it's a it's a busy uncontrolled airport. You have to do the overflight and and a teardrop because of the nearby airspace. So yeah, let's let's play that. Okay, so make a call now that yeah. you're over top of the field. Twin Oaks traffic, overflying, uh, 
uh, runway uh, 317 Victor Alpha, making the right teardrop for the left zero to uh, Twinox. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I wasn't five miles out. I forget which call it was. Yeah. yeah. But the only thing better would you just to, um, put in smoke coming out of your ears. Oh, uh, for sure. Added that into the, into the, <laughs> what I love is that, what I love is that you're, it's like you're looking around for the bag of words in the video <laughs> that people can't see. You just, well, you just keep turning your head to each side to side. Like I'm, I'm going to find it. I'm going to find it. Like you're and, looking for a cue card somewhere to tell you what to say. Yeah. And I kept saying, you know, left O2, left whatever, you know, I couldn't get it attached to my brain that it's left downwind zero two. So I'd be like downwind left O2, things like that. So we'll, we'll play it again here and uh, see if there's any words missing. They're in the wrong order. <laughs> okay. So make a call now that yeah. you're over top field. Twin Oaks traffic, overflying uh, uh, runway. Uh, 317 Victor Alpha, making the right teardrop for the left zero two Twin Oaks. <laughs> right teardrop, <laughs> left zero two. Look at your instructor's face. I, I know, I know. That's, <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's just, you can just see he's containing, it's just, he's hes Vesuvius <laughs> about, to, it's just hilarious. It's after a long flight where I was doing that the whole way through the flight. <laughs> similar mistakes. So, I mean, that's, that's an example. It's okay during training, right? It's going to happen. That's right. And I don't know, I, I hear it from students on, on the air when I'm flying, usually not quite that bad, but you know, as long as you, as long as you're safe, you're going to figure it out. It's okay. I'll tell you what, it's not quite a bag of words thing, but it is sort of a, a comms thing that's been driving me a little nuts lately is, you know, and there's different levels of this, but it takes, it's not really clear when you're starting what you read back and what you don't. Oh yeah. And then you get certain people that take up so much time on the frequency (laughs) because they are (laughs) doing a sort of word for word recitation of wins. Number two, you know, (laughs) yeah. And I I feel bad because I mean, it is, it's being complicit and trying to do the right thing, but, uh, But I'll never forget when I was uh, when I was training, and it was one of those moments where my instructor was taking the radios at the time, and he got like one of these calls where there was just all this stuff that was said, and I just thought to myself, yeah, I want to be really curious to see what he says, you know, like and what he reads back or what he doesn't, and and all he said was three Charlie Sierra, <laughs> <laughs> and I just realized, oh my yeah. God, you yeah. can actually almost read back none of it, depending on right. what it is. Right. Sometimes. Yeah. Right. <laughs> that was a, yeah. that was a big one for me. I was like, wait, you can almost just not answer. <laughs> Chrissy was uh, training at a, at a relatively quiet Delta. And uh, he, he's had the same thing, which is because he's training out of a Delta, you learn everything with the tower there. And, and so he said that he, uh, the quote is while taxiing after a practice flight full of bad radio calls, I thanked my controller over the radio for his patience. He was very cool about it. No problem happens to us all. Yeah. I mean, there's definitely, uh, some grace at times for sure. And, we all learn somewhere. Some of us a little slower a than others with our pilots yeah. too, right? That have suffered through yes. the indignities of being on that side of it. I, I do love when you uh, hear a, a CFI click in after after the calls are going bad for a while, and then the CFI tries to clear it up. The good CFIs know just when that controller's patience is about to explode, <laughs> and they come in to save the day before yeah. they get to that point. That's what a good C. That's how you can tell if it's a good CFI or not. Yeah. Hey, by the way, um, I ran into uh, uh, Jeff Ramsey, the CFI that we had on not terribly long ago. Yeah. Um, I ran to him today at the airport, and uh, I told him that I'd like to have him back on. And uh, you know what? He said, "Yeah." He didn't say no. He said yes. He said there he'd be go. glad to do it. He didn't say no thanks or an odd kind of uh hey i really appreciate the offer right um he said that he would love to be back so and the reason why i'm mentioning that now is uh people can let us know what they think about uh you know it usually it's just us but sometimes we have people on that actually know what they're talking about and have 
yeah. knowledge that's certifiable knowledge. Um, right. So uh, having a, you know, he's, he's a CFI, he runs a flight school, he does a bunch of stuff. Um, they just got an Aztec today. Ooh. Um, so that's kind of fun. He said they got a diamond. I was like, is it air conditioning? He said, no. I was like, oh, man, come on. <laughs> not that I'm not going to fly a diamond, but just anyway. Um, so go back and listen to the episode with Jeff that we did before. And um, and then if you think you would like to have people on um, to join us that actually know what they're talking about, just let us know. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of people that have experience instead of just or uh, more knowledge, than, than a light amount of experience like us. Um, we did want to talk about McSpadden. Uh, yeah, we, we didn't want to let the episode go to about not to at least to acknowledge it. Um, you know, there's a lot of people on YouTube who like to do accident reporting and what can we learn from it. But, you know, I thought his approach to it completely non-judgmental based on the facts that we know. And then even if we don't have a lot, if it, he did not have a lot of facts, he would say, if it was this scenario, this is what you do to not put yourself into that situation. And and I am not going to speculate as to what happened. Uh, obviously, they tried to turn back to the airport, but we don't know all the details. We don't know yeah. what was in front of them. Uh, I'm not going to speculate on it. It's just a, it's a terrible loss. There were seven people that died on October 1st in general aviation accidents. Wow. And it was just a really bad day. Mm. I think that um, what struck me about it was he, uh, McSpadden was, was sort of the safety dad of general aviation aviation in the sense that he he, he kind of had this uh i don't know this kind of position in it all that it's, it's like when things are going wrong you want to look towards uh, a person that has credibility and is a source of truth and is a calming influence yes and so he was all that you know so what i'm taking from it ultimately is whatever the information is that comes out to be um about whatever lessons there are in in that I'm going to make sure that I take all of them very, very seriously and, and learn everything I can about whatever that was. And I think that's ultimately what he would prefer. Yeah. Yeah. So our hearts and thoughts go out to his family and his friends. It, it's just a, a terrible loss. It's yeah. yeah. And it's sobering, right? Yeah. It, we're, we're relatively low hour pilots and our risks are a lot higher. And to have vice president of the air safety Institute uh, in a fatality it's, yeah. you know, there's a lot of people you see um, where it's kind of beckoning the question of, I, do I really want to keep doing this? You know? Yeah. And um, that's a very logical place to be. And, you know, I, I'm not going to hear to advise people one way or the other about what you should do. But uh, I think just, you know, anything worthwhile to do takes, uh, I think, effort and life itself is a risk. Um, yeah. And we all know how it's going to go. Uh, Josh had posted an article in The Atlantic. I can't think of the author's name, but he did take it. Oh, the one about uh, Fate is a Hunter? Fate is the Hunter is, is probably yeah. the best aviation book I've ever read. Oh, it was from Fallows. Uh, James uh, Fallows. James Fallows is who it was. We'll, we'll put it in the doobly-doo. It'll be in the podcast description. I highly, highly recommend that book. Uh, it just really struck a chord with me. Ernest Gunn died in his bed, and he would probably be the first to tell you that it probably shouldn't happen. You know, um, his fate, it was uh, just, it, it wasn't meant to be. But anyway, I, I found a lot of solace in that book. Hmm. Uh, with these things, uh, especially when these things happen. So um, if you haven't read that book, I highly recommend it. It, Yes, it's it's a, it's a great book. Um, And on a kind of more concrete level, I think something that I I, I think, especially Brian, you and I, and a couple other people, but it's something that, that we have noticed or feel is missing that we've gone and practiced with our CFIs is loss of thrust on takeoff. Mm. Not great to do alone, but man, get with your CFI, have engine thrust zero at 20 feet up. Try it at 100 feet. Try try doing your your impossible turn at 700 feet. Try those those uh, and see what that feels like. Watch the speed tape just completely unwind in a moment. Uh, it's had me thinking about a lot of stuff. I mean, I'm yeah. I'm like about you know if there's not an absolute real reason to be flying VX, don't fly VX. Is what I've yeah. taken on for myself. You guys do whatever you want, but uh, after practicing impossible turn and seeing 
like you just can't I, to be already on the edge at stall like of stall speed you just don't have any margin you got to get that you got to get the nose down and it you might be so close to it that you just can't anyway so right. anyway everything's everything's situational and all that stuff but i think that i just i just the thing that i want to the thing that i hope comes from what tragedy has happened is uh, and i've been mentioning this to anybody that'll listen uh, which is very few people, but uh, <laughs> no, but um, I want there to be a wholesale retirement of the term impossible turn. And I think that from a linguistic standpoint, it predestines a competitive and argumentative point of view of whether it's impossible or not. It's sort of like a distraction and uh, it presupposes a, it, it essentially is reductive, I think, to the wild amount of minutiae that are actually in that sort of problem. And so I would love as a response to all this, I, to me, I, I'm not saying this is the reason why it's a problem, but I'm saying I think it's a contributor. There have been other things that have been very well intended things that by branding or terms alone have been very self-sabotaging to their intentionality. And so I'm here to say, I think it should be rebranded, whatever, I call it a high risk turn back, call it whatever you want, but let's call it something else and start to actually get into the meat of whatever it is instead of just you know, it's such a, a sort of, if you want to really understand the validity of the term impossible turn, then go to YouTube and search for impossible turn. <laughs> and you will see that every single content creator has leveraged that term in a way that is not necessarily entirely focused on being educational, but because it has this appeal, because it has this controversial yes, tone. Sure. And so I say, at some point, retire that term, acknowledge that it is not actually helping the problem. It's not helping. And then come up with something that does help, you know? And so my best suggestion is high risk, turn back. It's not as sexy, but it talks about the things that it is. It's high risk and it's turning back. <laughs> and then it becomes a question of evaluating the risk, quantifying yeah. the risk based on all of the variables that we've learned, you know, from our instructors about the winds and the type of airplane and the length of the runway and all the things. There's just so many variables. So that's my uh, rant that I didn't plan on going <laughs> on, but I, it kind of makes me angry honestly i just think it's lazy to keep calling it the impossible turn and it's not helping general aviation i i agree with that 100 percent. and you know i'm to the point and we need to wrap it up but i'm to the point now where i've gone out with an instructor and see how how high i need to be to be able to turn back to the airport but the problem with that is is there's a million variables is the headwind you're taking off in eight knots therefore you have a tailwind is it there's, there's a million of them and you can't practice all of them. So the best thing to do is put the plane down in front of you and, and not behind you. And, you know, I, I think you'll, depending on what the train is, you'll have a better chance to walk away from it. But um, so, yeah, it, it, again, hearts and, and prayers go to the family. It's just, it's a terrible situation. So to wrap up tonight, we said it before, we're going to say it again. We love getting feedback. Look how much the comment stream just froze after my rant. Yeah. Yeah, well, I really know how to bring them in. Way to bring up the whole audience. Here. <laughs> yeah, no, you know, we 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 discuss this between the three of us, and were we going to mention it? Because there are other people that analyze these, and and that's that's, right. that's not us. On the other hand, we do want to acknowledge it and think about as we try to with with all of these incidents, which is not speculate on what their faults were, but how we can improve, how we can, how we need right. to think yeah. about about our own flying and our own bigger weaknesses. Right on. Yep. All right. Again, the email address, midlifepilotpodcast at gmail.com. Subscribe on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Click the lights, subscribe, all the fun button pushing. Share it with like your people. Share it with your friends. We do need to thank some folks. Um, we've, we've gotten quite a few monthly supporters since the last podcast. Mike D, Michael Smith, Mark, Mr. One Dog Geek, Alyssa, Stephen, Michael Young, and Michael Gonzalez, who I believe is in the chat tonight as well. Thank you guys for your support. It really means a lot to us. It's going to help me buy a better mic so I'm not distorted every 15 minutes. <laughs> and that's our that that's through the Spotify subscription. You can support yes. us on there for 99 cents a month or up 
and and that's that's what we're doing for a for a recurring subscription thing which which works out well yeah. support us on there send an email for a for a discord invite send your uh beg a word segments yeah. next week we're going to do a happy hour um send in your feedback your questions who knows maybe we'll invite somebody to come on and join us I think it could get a little wacky. Um, I have some ideas. So, um, oh, yeah, yep, 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 Love yep. It. Well, guys, thanks for the uh, time tonight. Thanks for potting, and thanks for everybody in watching on YouTube. We appreciate the comments and the feedback. And signing off, episode forty-three of Midlife Pilot. Good night, everybody. Right on. Night. Thanks, everybody. <laughs>